This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I am your host, Sheldon Primus. This is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. Welcome. So I got you guys for another week. This week, we're actually going to start talking about a couple of things leading into OSHA compliance. And I am going to do probably a two-weeker on this one. And this is going to be OSHA compliance regarding specifically OSHA recordables for injury and illnesses. So this week, I'm going to start with the basics before we go any crazier and start doing anything like super detailed. There's a lot of detail in the basics, but I really understand that a lot of people get confused with OSHA compliance, especially when it comes to record keeping. Uh, So I'm going to demystify as best as I can. And in demystifying, I really want to let you guys know that it is easier than you think, though it is still not completely uh, where you don't need some extra help. Let's say it that way. So here's where I'm going to like, I'm going to kind of give you guys an overview first before we even get into the topic. And so what I'm going to do is there's five basic questions that you need to ask yourself before you determine if an injury is, is actually recordable or not. So this is what we're going to do. I am not going to do any commercials in here. As you guys have noticed, I usually have been trying to do um, my commercial breaks either before or after the episode and just keep it fluid within. That doesn't mean I'm going to do that all the time, but it means right now uh, that's the best way I feel like I could uh, give you guys the information that you need. So we're going to get right into this one, and uh, it's just going to be me uh, this time, so I'm really going to do my best just to make sure that you're going to get a good understanding of this. All right, so let's talk about the five different questions that you're going to get uh, pretty much anywhere if you're going to be working with OSHA, and that's the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration for the U.S. Uh, You may definitely, I should say, not you may, if you're outside of OSHA's jurisdiction, like I do have several different listeners right now, uh, people listen to me in Nambia, thank you, Philippines, Good. I, I appreciate the, the support Canada as well. And uh, those are some of the names that keep coming up on my analytics. So I want to um, uh, just uh, tell you guys I appreciate you. Uh, today, though, the record keeping, though it's going to be OSHA side, it's probably the same standard. I don't know if I could say it that way, but it's probably the same ideology that might be in your uh, government entity as well. 
So I'm not saying this is going to exclude you from understanding what's happening here in the U.S. Uh, because it doesn't relate with what's happening in your country. But this is going to give you a little understanding of how things are done here in the U.S. And you can compare it to your current standard, good or bad. It doesn't matter. It's just, you know, that's just what it is. It's truly it's like right now you take a snapshot of uh, what it would be for OSHA to call something recordable. This time in history, this is the uh, recordability criteria. So we'll go over that. There's five major questions, and this is um, in OSHA's decision tree. They have this nice little decision tree in the 1904. That's where we're going to be. So that's the part 1904 record keeping. And we're going to talk about these questions. Number one, did the employee experience an injury or illness? If yes, then you go down to the next stage, which is, is the injury or illness work related? If yes, then let's go to the next one that says, is the injury or illness is a new case? If yes, does any, does the injury or illness meet the general specific or uh, general criteria or application to specific cases? If yes, now you record it. So that's the, the baseline understanding. So this uh, episode today, we're just going to truly talk about those five steps. We'll get into nuances later. And I think next week I'm going to spend more time on the nuances. This week I'm going to spend time on the foundations. So think of this as foundations for OSHA record keeping is really what this episode will be. give you another background of this or not even background just a thought the reason why i'm doing this is as you can tell osha has been ramping up all the different things that are compliance enforcement and working towards that even to the degree that if you go to osha.gov's website on their home page they tell you they are hiring so osha is literally hiring they are getting ready to start doing some more compliance assistance and compliance enforcement doing a little bit of both of those so i am looking at some of the things uh, that are going to be uh touch points let's say it that way there might be things that are going to come up for you and your organization and if you are actively a safety consultant as opposed to uh, some people that are listening to the show is thinking about it and they're kind of entertaining toying with that idea all right either or you're going to end up having to to deal with this sometime either by representing a client or training meaning you're delivering the training, especially if you're doing uh, the OSHA uh, training. And then the other thing that you're going to be delivering is going to be throughout any of this. You're also going to be that individual that is going to, uh, you're going to guide your organization is really what that boils down to. You're going to end up guiding your organization as to how they're going to do this. So question number one, let's get this one first. 
Did the employee experience an injury or illness? And um, this is coming from the OSHA website. If you go to the OSHA.gov, type in record keeping on the record keeping page, they actually have a PowerPoint presentation. I'm kind of using this as my background and then I'm going to add to it a little bit of a um, little bit more. Number one, did that employee experience an illness, illness or injury? The definition is an injury or illness is an abnormal condition or disorder. Injuries include cases such as, but not limited to, a cut, fracture, sprain, amputation, illness, including both acute and chronic illnesses, such as, but not limited to, a skin disease, respiratory disorder, or poisoning. So those are things that are going to be all related to, is this person experiencing an injury or illness? So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go through that presentation. The next thing they would do is literally give you a scenario. So here's your scenario. Scenario number one is going to be this. An employee reports to the nurse's station with complaint, uh, complaint of painful risk. The employee is given two Advils and returned to the job. You stop here, you go on. So the question is, did the employee experience an injury or illness? All right, the employee goes to the nurse's station at work. My wrist hurts. The nurse says, all right, here's a couple Advil. All right, go back to work. Is condition one met? So I'm gonna give you guys a second to think about it. Let's see. Here's my uh, my little uh, music thoughts right here for my uh, for my soundboard. All right. So what do you think? Uh, for those of you that said that we stop here, meaning that. Uh, the person was not experiencing an injury or illness because you're just giving them some Advil. They're able to go right back to their job. So at that point, they're not experiencing an injury or illness. Your answer, no, <laughs> you get that one wrong. Uh, you do actually go on. This person, though, you gave them the Advil, they're still experiencing what is known as a painful risk so that is an abnormal condition so that's one of the things that you really have to make sure that you you think about first is not the treatment that you just gave or the the remedy it's why was this person first in pain or is this person first feeling pain that's probably the better way to uh, to experience it or to ask that question so number one if you establish an abnormal condition all right, you go to the next step. It's not recordable yet. You just know you go to that next uh, step out of the five. It's really not five, it's four, but anyway. So number two is, is this thing work related? So that's a key. So here's your definition for determining work relatedness. Work relatedness is presumed for injuries and illnesses resulting from events or exposures occurring in the work environment. And that's a big one to remember, work environment, unless an exception specifically applies. 
in a case is presumed work-related if and only if an event or exposure in the work environment, again, that's that phrase that we'll have to look into real close, work environment is a discernible cause of the injury or illness or of a significant aggravation to a pre-existing condition. Discernible cause, that's another one of those phrases that you're going to really have to um, know that it's subjective, but they do have some real good wording that's going to lead you to answering some of your questions. So let's go with this one. First question is work-related. That's coming up in your brain. I already hear it formulating. You're like, all right, well, what does work-related mean? So let's give it to you right now. An exposure, or excuse me, an event or exposure in the work environment either caused or contributed to the resulting condition or significantly aggravated a pre-existing injury or illness presumed for injuries and illness resulting from events or exposure occurring in the work environment. So they're saying that that, uh, this is coming from 1904 section five, so it's literally from the standard. Uh, So the condition on this one is, did the event cause or contributed to whatever the resulting condition is? And then also, it's not and, it's or. Let's just say it that way. You got to be careful with your wording here. Or did someone already have an existing condition and now whatever the work activity was, it's caused the flare up to the point that this person now can't control it. And that's the best way to, to kind of give you guys a, a thought process for that one. So that is a work event. And then the phrasing on the next thing that it says there is presumed for work-relatedness is presumed for injuries and illnesses resulting from events and exposures occurring in the work environment. So now we need to know what work environment means. And this is truly, this definition here for work environment is the crux of most of the 50-50 calls on being recordable or not recordable. A lot of it boils down to 1904 section five as being work environment. So here's your definition for this. An establishment or other locations where employees are working or are present as a condition of their employment. So first, you gotta be there, and now you're actually there, you're physically working, and you're there because you're gonna be fired if you're not. It's a condition of your employment that you have to show up. Uh, So includes also the equipment and materials used for work. So anytime you're you're literally using that stuff, then that's what you're gonna be called uh, a working environment for you. Significant aggravation is the other one that we're dealing with in this actual definition of work-relatedness. So if an event occurs because of some work exposure and you now have a result in death, loss of consciousness, days away, days restricted, or job transfer, or medical treatment, In those cases, now you do have a scenario where this is work-related. So 
now you got to think about the exceptions. So there's plenty of exceptions to the rule, right? There's always exceptions to the rules. So this one is some of the exceptions that OSHA says we've gone through uh, a bunch of these things and now we decided that, okay, there are certain rules need to be in place so that there won't be double jeopardy or other things that says it's so hard for us to mitigate. And I probably shouldn't use that term double jeopardy because it's got a whole bunch of different meanings to it. But really what they're saying with these exceptions is, uh, is we know that these particular things are not as hazardous or should be counted for some reason is really what it boils down to. So that's what they're, they're uh, working out. That's what they're saying right there. So let's go ahead and think about the next, uh, next part of this now we're saying what is work environment what's work related what's all that so the next best thing that you're thinking about is going to be uh, truly what are exceptions so first and foremost if you're in a place and you're part of the general public then if you get injured it's just like you know someone who is not even an employee someone who's just showing up to do whatever they're here now that person has an injury on the person's work site, they're not actually there working. They're just there because of something. Uh, it could be a community event that's being held where they're working. It could be something in the, uh, the realm of a blood donation or something where now they're coming in as an actual um, uh, member of the public. Another one, symptoms solely due to non-work-related exposure. So as soon as you get that uh, work-relatedness definition and you're thinking about exposure, uh, if you're doing something not work-related, you get exposed to this hazard, now you come down with something acute or chronic, that's not recordable. Voluntary participation in wellness programs, you know, fitness centers or recreation programs. We got a company picnic or bowling or something and you get injured. That's a known exception. Preparing, drinking, eating any food or drink for personal consumption. That's a tricky one, but that is truly saying you could slice a finger off, actually need to get it, you know, put back in place at work. But if your activity was eating, drinking, or preparing food for personal consumption, this is a known exception. So therefore, at this point, you as being the person who's putting in the OSHA recordables, you don't have to. That's a freebie. Of course, <laughs> I don't mean to say that the injury itself has no consequences because that person now is suffering. You got to be empathetic, take care of that person, make sure that they're okay. But as far as record keeping for OSHA, that is not a recordable event. So that's uh, that's one of the things that we'll have to make sure that you really get there. There's a couple more exceptions and they say not work related if. So now we're talking about people who are going to say uh, these activities is an interest in the interest of my employer. That's the big term. Uh, so these things are in the interest of the employer. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing this for the interest of the employer. So here's a not work related if. 
personal task outside assigned working hours. So if you're doing that, then at that point, you are not doing anything in the interest of the employer. Personal grooming, self-medication for non-working related conditions or intentionally self-inflicted. And truly in those cases, the thing I hear the most about is what if someone comes in and they're physically impaired uh, due to a substance abuse or substance issue? And then the question would be, they meant to get drunk, they meant to get high, they meant to whatever, if they had an accident, that was intentionally self-inflicted. No, it's not. Uh, OSHA already came up with a ruling that that is not self-inflicted. Here's a case of that. Uh, one of OSHA's rulings is this. There was two, no, no, let's say it this way. Uh, there was one guy who was just, they're about to, to go ahead and, and shut down uh, and, and cut off some of their, um, the property or, or I should say some of the, the workers. So uh, meaning we're going to cut whatever percentage of workers. So this guy finds out that the workforce is getting cut at work. And this is an OSHA case. You can see it in a letter of interpretation. Um, he gets upset at this downsizing and he literally punches a locker to the fact that he breaks his fifth metacarpus. And this is in this uh, letter of interpretation. So at this point, OSHA wants to find out, or to say the safety director wants to find out, hey, is this recordable? Dude, punch the locker. And he said, that's self-inflicted. OSHA came back and said, no, his intent wasn't to break his fifth metacarpus. It was to show that he was upset at the uh, layoff. And therefore, that is not uh, an exception. And it was a recordable event. So that is one of those things, self-inflicted, I hear all the time, it's tricky. Motor vehicle accident in the parking lot slash access road during a commute is a not work-related vehicle and vehicle. Um, common cold or flu, if you got one of those, then that is not a recordable event. Mental illness unless, and if it is one of those things where it just get into the mental illness part, uh, then work related only if uh, it is something that it is a noticeable condition due to some sort of exposure such as a chemical agent or something that was reacting to this individual that caused that or, or something similar. So it still had to prove some work relatedness in those cases. Uh, travel status work related if it occurs while the employee is engaged in something that is in the interest of the employer and your place, your hotel, your Airbnb, wherever you are, is going to be your home away from home. So even though you're on vacation, excuse me, even not vacation, even if you're out for a work activity, Sheldon, no vacation, but, uh, even though you're out for a work activity, then what's happening is uh, OSHA counts that as you actually being at home. So uh, that's, that's if you are truly away, you must, your activity at the time must be doing something in the interest of the employer. Uh, duties for personal reasons, or say detour, excuse me, for personal reasons not related to work. You gotta go to the bank, you gotta go do something, and all of a sudden you are now um, pretty much got yourself a nice little injury going. It could be recordable. 
if you weren't doing this thing outside of the working hours or taking a detour. Home away from home? This one is going to be tricky. I got to tell you the truth. So in 1904, Section 5, they have this wording with work-related if they, and this is if the employee occurs while the employee is performing work for pay or compensation in home. So think about all the employers that during the pandemic had a lot of people start working at home. And so this is first, you're doing something at home that you're being compensated for and this directly related to the performance of the work rather than general home environment, meaning you're doing something in the interest of the employer and you didn't get injured because the kids toys are on the floor, you slip on that and now you're, you know, falling down the stairs. Uh, so those are some of the things that you're going to end up having to, you know, pretty much um, di differentiate. Let's say it that way. I honestly think that in the next couple of years, especially with everyone working at home, that you might end up seeing a case where this is going to go a lot higher. That people that are truly doing something in the interest of the employee, uh, excuse me, in the employer has an injury at home, such as carpal tunnel or something similar to that, that we're going to need to start recording those things. How do you do the investigation? I don't know. It's going to get wild. All right. Step two. Now, is this injury work related? Here's a question related to that one. Employee sprains her ankle in a company parking lot on their way to work. Do you go on? Meaning, is that work related or not? And OSHA says yes, because the parking lot exception only applies to motor vehicles. It does not apply to actual people. All right, I'm going to go to the next stage, which is going to be, is this a new case or old case? So basically, if the doctor fills out a form saying that this person's going to be under our care and it's going to be their doctor's note. So here they're under our care and I'm going to give you, uh, meaning the employer, I'm going to give you this right here to show you this is the care uh, that we do for this person when you're done through this plan of care and then the individual now gets signed off by the doctor that says you now actually can go back to work whatever you had your injury 100% you are now good to go so in this case what's happening is you're going to end up if the person gets injured again, the exact same location of the initial injury after the doctor gave them the clearing to, to come back to work, then this is going to be a new case. So they could be your entry number one, your entry number three, your entry number seven, all with the exact same thing, meaning that they injured their shoulder again or they injured their back again. So in those cases, what you'll end up doing is truly writing it in like a first time each and every time. If the person did not get a full uh, release from the doctor, but they end up coming back to work, injuring the same part again, so the same shoulder, the same wrist, the same whatever, 
now they're going to basically what you'll do is you'll just do a nice little one line throughout your records and if the doctor had first recommended that it was going to be you know three weeks of part-time and now he gets reevaluated and says all right so we're going to have to restrict him for seven weeks now because of this it's an update on the records it's not actually a new file uh, let's go through the other two steps. So working our way into, well, let's give you one of the scenarios that OSHA has. Employee fractures a foot at work every six months or so. It bothers him. He's placed on light duty for a day or two. So in this case, was this person a new case? Every time that they, every six months, this thing kind of, you know, sneaks up on them. So that's the question. Alright, so if you said that at this case it is a new case, uh, then we're going to go ahead and go on with this one. If you said, eh, this is an old case, we're going to stop here, that's nothing. You're both right. <laughs> Yeah, and the reason why, it, it just depends. You don't have enough information yet. You don't know a few things. So was this person completely recovered? Meaning, did the doctor give them a full note that says they are good to go? If they are completely recovered and now they entered the same body part, then now that is going to be a condition that is a new case. If they did not get that release, then it is going to be the same case. You update your records. Uh, general criteria is step four, which just means if anything happens as an injury or illness, and now all of a sudden it progresses to one or more of the following, the person expires, there's a death, days away, uh, meaning that they had missed a day or two or something similar to that. Now you get a day away from work. Restricted work activity means um, you should be able to lift 20 pounds, but the doctor says you can only lift five. Uh, transfer means we can't have you in a field. We're going to have you in the office. Medical treatment beyond first aid, meaning at first it was just a nice first aid case, meaning a bandage or something similar to that. But then later on, you're like, hold on, we need a little bit more. This isn't going to, uh, the bandage isn't cutting it. Now we have to do some sort of prescription medication. All right, now you've gone into general recording criteria. Loss of consciousness, significant injury or illness diagnosed by the professional healthcare, licensed healthcare provider. Any of those things happen, and now you do have a case where that one becomes recordable. So those are the the, the five different uh, criteria for what is recordable, and I'm going to stop it with this one. So when we come back next week, we're going to really talk about a couple of things. First, about how are you going to record, like what you're going to do, enter in. Now we're going to talk about establishment versus firm. We're going to talk about a few things with the literal forms that you fill out. So today we're just going to really focus on uh, what we had and uh, that sound was me. I hit the wrong, uh, hit the wrong button. I should be hitting this button. That's the one I need. So when we do come back next week, I'm going to really try to focus in on that one. I really want to make sure that you guys are going to um, digest this part first, okay? So go ahead and uh, go over this as many times as you need to to really digest it. 
get a good understanding of these steps. When you do, then we're going to come back and we'll do the rest of them. So what I'm getting you guys ready for, I'm doing a big event. Uh, this one is going to be July 16th and it's going to be 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And truly, it is going to be uh, revealing the secrets of OSHA compliance. I'm giving you guys a day worth of my safety consultant playbook. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to go to the SheldonPrimus.com backslash events. So go to SheldonPrimus.com and you can hear me typing right now because I'm doing it just to make sure I am telling you guys to write email. So Sheldon Primus or website, <laughs> not email. We don't want to take you to an email. So SheldonPrimus.com backslash events with an S and you're going to be able to register for the revealing secrets to OSHA compliance. The one day event is going to be held in July and it's going to be July 16th. So right now, go to the event page, early, birdie, early bird pricing, excuse me, is available. And that is going to be only 20 tickets. So it's gonna have the early bird pricing of $125. And once that ends, then yeah, we're gonna go into the next phase of pricing, which is general admission. Uh, so right now, 125 early bird pricing, 20 people. You can get in there before the, uh, the prices will go up for the general admission. So tickets are open right now. They opened up May 1st, so you could go ahead and sign up for the second edition of Revealing Secrets to OSHA Compliance, the Safety Consultant Playbook. But for now, have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week. Go get them. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. <laughs>